you have your Bibles, let's take them and open to Acts chapter 4. My name's Lloyd. I'm one of the teaching pastors along with Rob. And we move back and forth uh, between uh, our Franklin congregation and our Brentwood congregation. And Acts chapter 4 will be in verses 32 to 35 that Carthy read. Hope College professor of psychology David Myers writes in his book, The American Paradox, Spiritual Hunger in an Age of Plenty. He says this, quote, Since 1957, the number of Americans who say they are very happy has declined from 35 to 30 percent. We are twice as rich and no happier. He goes on to say, I have called this soaring wealth and shrinking spirit the American paradox. More than ever, we find ourselves with big houses and broken homes, high incomes and low morales, secured rights and diminished civility. We excel at making a living, but too often fail at making a life. We celebrate our prosperity, but yearn for purpose. We cherish our freedoms, but long for connection. In an age of plenty, we are feeling spiritual hunger. End quote. I think he's got his hand on the pulse of our culture. And if I can say this to us, the church, not out there. Don't read that and go, yeah, the world's like that. I read it and go, yeah, I see that person in the mirror. And I know that person's in the church because it's us. It's truly us in an age of plenty. I think all of us are living in abundance and yet that abundance in many ways is not producing what we think abundance would. Uh, You know, we are on the verge of spending, as Americans, $688 billion just in the next 30 to 45 days. You know, it's all the gifts that we buy. And by the way, I'm not against that, so you can still buy me gifts. But uh, (laughs) it's, it's up from $655 billion. How do you even get your head around $680 billion? I mean, that's kind of like, it's like... How do, you, how do you even go there? It's, it's, it's massive. Someone has tried to, and they put it this way, if you had $680 billion, you could buy 22,666,667 cars, each of them $30,000. Or you could buy 2.4, no, 3.4 million homes, each home worth $200,000. That's just nutty, that amount of, of money. And the research, quite frankly, we could go to other research And it does show you all that an increase in stuff does not correlate to an increase in genuine happiness and fulfillment. And so here's the question for us. In an age of plenty, how do we as God's people, the community of faith, how do we in an age of plenty, in a place of plenty, live with our abundance in such a way that it does not subvert The abundant life that Jesus promised. Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Yes, but how do we, with plenty and abundance, not have our own abundance subvert 
that very abundance in Jesus? That's the, that's the question that's actually answered in the text that Carthy just read. Acts 4, 32, all the way down to 35. The more time I spent in this text, I realized that, that the answer I thought, like what's the, what's the antidote to abundance and prosperity and materialism? What's the antidote to that? Well, this text gives us the answer. I thought it was one thing. I'm going to tell you, as I spent time in it, it was entirely something else. Now, just to, to, to qualify this for ourselves, some of us in the room are living paycheck to paycheck. Some of us in the room uh, don't have an abundance, so to speak. That's a fact, you all. This is not like, uh, no, that might be up in some parts of the Nashville or whatever. This is Williamson County, Murray County, wherever you are. We, we hit seasons and many of us are challenged uh, financially. And so I want to recognize that. I don't want to overlook that. And yet I want us to, to, to also not ignore the, the reality and the facts. You know, the Pew, Re, Pew Foundation does research. They've been doing it for decades. And if you took it on a global scale, um, they have found that nine out of ten Americans live above the global median income. So, I mean, that's a fact. Nine out of ten Americans are above the global median incomes here. Nine out of ten of us are here. And I'll tell you, the other one is not far below it, per se, that one. Another way you can look at this, and this helps me kind of bring it, you know, more into into home, would would be to say this. Let's, Let's recognize, if you came to church today in a, in a privately owned vehicle. And, and you even had a choice of which vehicle to bring. If you had a choice of shoes to wear. Like you had more than one that you could pick from. If you spend money to feed an animal that you do not intend to eat. <laughs> we have... An abundance. And we do. It's a fact. So how do we live with this? Y'all need to let that go and start, go back to this. Somebody. Uh, how do we live with that abundance? Well, let's, let's start with the context. That let's catch up to where we are in our study through Acts. And very briefly, two weeks ago, I, was, I took Acts, uh, the verses there that lead right up to 32, 22 to 31, And that was about a prayer they prayed. And when they prayed that prayer, the building shook. And they were filled with the Spirit. And they kept on speaking boldly, okay? And then, boom, we hit this portion of Acts. One final contextual piece to hold. When we think about the the New Testament church, and, and in particular, this church in Jerusalem, I want you to know it was not made up of peasants and paupers and poor people. That, that's not who comprised the church, and in particularly the church in Jerusalem at this time. You all, in this day, it was, you know, they were occupied by the Romans, which they hated and despised the Romans. But let's, let's face this. The Romans brought a great deal of stability to the region. And so we know historically, factually, there was, a, there was an economy it was driven by three primary factors, agriculture, trade. They were on a trade route, so they had all the benefits of trade coming in and out, moving north and south, 
And thirdly, you hate the Romans because they occupy it, but guess what else they did? There was a lot of government spending. (laughs) Sounds familiar. A lot of government spending. Well, it created an economy in which people owned things. People owned their homes. Not everyone, just like not everyone in the room owns them. But people owned homes. Uh, People actually made investment decisions. And they brought property as as assets and investments. They made investment decisions with disposable income. So I want us to keep that in mind when we come here. There was a middle class. There was a gap between the rich and the poor here, just like there is here today. Now, with that... Uh, Carthy read the passage, so I'm just going to go back piece by piece, but I want to give you the outline of the passage because there's three things that are happening and they're all interrelated. First, there's a unity of heart and soul. Unity of heart and soul. It's the first thing we're going to look at. You go from unity of heart and soul and then there is this transfer of ownership. Unity of heart and soul, transfer of ownership. And then third, there is a radical generosity. Okay, So there's the outline. There's the flow, if you will, of the passage. Unity of heart and soul, transfer of ownership, radical generosity. Start with unity of heart and soul. Look at verse 32. It's verse 32a. And the congregation or the multitude, this is thousands of people, by the way. We know that there were 5,000 back in verse 4 of chapter 4. So the the multitude of those who believed, this is the Christian community, these believers were of one heart and soul, one heart and soul. When the Bible speaks of the heart, uh, always remember that if it's going to speak of the cardio, which is the Greek word, the physical organ heart, the context will tell you that. It's rare. It's not that often. Most often, the Bible speaks of the heart as the center of your being, as the planning center, as the activity center, as the whole person of who you are. And when we consider the heart in the Bible, it's speaking of your thinking, your feeling, your longings, and your choices. Your thinking, your feeling, your longings, and your choices. And recognize that these are distinct. They're inseparable, but tell me, a thought is different from a longing. You see that? A feeling is different from choice. So so, so these are distinct things within us made in the image of God who thinks, feels, longs, and chooses. We're made in his image. And this is described by the Bible as the heart. And when God saves us and makes us more like Christ, can I tell you, he's not just after your mind. Well, that person really thinks like Jesus, thinks a lot like Jesus, thinks exactly like Jesus. No, the Bible's always after your what? Your heart, your thinking, feeling, longings, and choosings. You see that? So in Proverbs, when the Proverbs writer said in 4.23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, he's talking about watch over your thinking, your feelings, your longings, and your choices. For this is where life flows from. That's the heart. Everybody with me on that? And then he says, but they were one in heart and soul. Well, the, the, the heart, in a, and this is beyond my pay grade, trust me, but there's a distinction between heart and the soul. Because our thinking, feeling, longings, and choosings are distinct from what the Bible would consider our soul. Distinct and yet similar. What is the soul? 
The soul is that part of us that makes us alive, that lives forever. Your flesh, your, my body, this skin, will not live forever. It will dissolve. And so death is the separation of the soul. When your soul is removed from your physical body, you're dead, physically dead. But your soul lives how long? See, forever. This is that part of us that lives forever. Uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Very technical definition, but I think it helps us here when we think of soul. The soul is the essence of being or life. It is the animating principle, ultimately derived from God, who breathed into mankind, Genesis 2-7. He breathed into Adam, it says, thereby he became a living soul. Created from the dirt, there was a body, but it was not yet a living body till God breathed the breath of life, and now Adam had a living soul. And you and I, listen, every person born from then on is born with a soul. Now, they were of one heart and soul. What does it mean they were of one? I think it, I think it applies in two arenas. They were of one heart and soul in terms of their fellowship. They had all things in common, koina, koinas, fellowship, koinonia. So they were of one heart and soul relationally. This is how they lived their life. They were together. Does this make sense? So it was a relational oneness. I want to suggest the text shows us that they were also of one heart heart and soul in terms of their purpose. So relationally and in terms of their purpose. Well, Lord, what do you mean by their purpose? Look at verse 33. It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. So what's happening here is their prayer from verse 29 and 30, Lord, Give us, help us to speak boldly and then verify our words with your signs and wonders. That's what's happening. And they were of one heart and soul relationally. This is going to matter in a moment when we get to application. Relationally, but also we're, we're about the same purpose and thing. And what was the purpose for which they lived? To bring others into a relationship with Christ to proclaim the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what they prayed for. That's what's happening. And abundant grace was upon them all. They understood, you see, that God saved them. Okay, this, they saved them and brought them into a right relationship with himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not just so one day they would die and go to heaven. But that so from that moment, Till the day they died, they would live for his kingdom. Such that they would live every day from that moment on, living to tell others about Jesus and help them come into a relationship with Christ that they too might tell others about Jesus and come into a relationship with Christ till the day they die. Is everybody with me on this? So one heart and soul relationally and in terms of their mission and purpose. Man, you talk about relevant for us as a community of faith. Unity of heart and soul. Now this led to 
a transfer of ownership. This is fascinating. Look at 32b, the second part. And not one of them was saying that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Wow. They, now, it doesn't say that early Christians had no private property. It says those who had things that belonged to them, that sounds like private property to me, they owned things, they had things. But that which they owned, they said, you know, this is, this is mine, but it's not mine. What did they mean? What do you mean it's mine, but it's not mine? It's, it, it's yours. What's mine is yours. It's, what's that about? Well, I'll tell you what it's about. We could go to a number of passages, but I'm going to go to Psalm 24. It says, 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. The Bible's emphatic that, uh, you know, the God who spoke all things into creation and sustains all, thing by the word, all things by the word of his power owns everything. <laughs> It's his, it's not ours. And, and they understood this such that they could say, you know, I got a lot of stuff. In fact, I got some property over here. I got a home over here. And it's mine, but it's not mine. It's God's. And as God leads me to steward whatever he's given me, I want to make sure that it flows through me and I give it wherever it needs to be given. That's what's going on here. This is not communism. Communism says what's yours is everyone's in the room and it's a law. That, that's communism. What, this, is, this is Christianity that says... What's mine is God's to be given however he wants it distributed. See, that's, that's faith, and that's a life of the steward. Now, C.S. Lewis, writing in Mere Christianity, touches on this. He said, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his already. You say, well, I work like crazy. We save like crazy for our home. And I've been putting away, you know, retirement money for years, working like crazy over these years. And I would say, yeah, yeah, I know. And Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 would say, God says, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. So you gotta, you got to own the fact that God actually gives, you know, the, the energy you had to work so hard, that was from God. I could clear this up with one question. Whose oxygen have you been breathing since you were born? See what I'm saying? It, it's not even yours. Did you make your lungs? Do you make the oxygen that you breathe? Do you make all the photosynthesis and everything that goes on that creates the air? We, no, you see, it's all God's. It's all a gift. Unity of, this unity of heart and soul, relationally and in terms of their mission, it, it, it led to this transformation of ownership. God, it's all yours. And then that, that produced, if you will, this radical generosity. We won't read it. Carthy read it. Um, there were some who had houses and some who had land, investment land. And uh, they said, you know, it's not ours. And the Holy Spirit apparently moved them to, to sell it. 
And they would take this money. And by the way, think about this. They weren't, this wasn't like a, a 20, here's a 20. Hey, here's $10. You guys can give it to someone who needs it. This was, you know, in our day, if you sold your home, we're talking thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. And here, give it to the apostles. Why'd they give it to the apostles? Because they recognized the apostles were God's ordained men who who, who were the foundation of the church. They recognized the apostolic authority and they gave it to them and said, you distribute it as any of the multitude might have need. Does that make sense? And so they would, they would bring it to the apostles and the apostles would, would give it. Now, one thing to keep in mind is when we read 34 and 35, there are five imperfect verbs. And what, what's important about this is, is the imperfect verbs tell us that this is something that was done Okay, it was done in the past, and then it was done again. And then it was done again. See, if it was a, if it was a perfect tense, it would be speaking with something that was done and the effects carried on forever. But this kept being done and done and done. Some of you with the NIV, your translation, we study from the New American Standard, NASB Bible, The NIV says, from time to time, they would do this. And so you see, this was not legislated. This was not like every church needs to do this. No, it was from time to time. And at this time, this is what they did at the Jerusalem church. Unity of heart led to a transfer of ownership, which prompted a radical generosity. That's what the text says. That's what the text means. What, how do we apply this? I've I got two lessons, and then we are going to apply it. Let me give you two of, of many lessons we could pull from here. And these two lessons will intersect as well and connect. First is this. Unity of heart and soul precedes radical generosity. It's not radical generosity. It's unity of heart and soul precedes radical generosity. This is so important. Generosity, you guys, is a byproduct of a unified body in heart and soul. See, this is where I, I would have said, you know, what's the, what's the antidote to abundance that we have so that the abundance doesn't subvert our abundance in Christ? I said, we need to be more generous. We need to give, and that's one of our values as a community of faith, to be a generous people. We need to, look, give it all away. Well, the answer, though, is not really that. The answer is not sell everything you have, give it all away, take a vow of poverty, live only on just what you need every day. That's not the answer here according to this text. You know what the antidote to materialism if, if, if you want to keep materialism from holding you and gripping you and plenty from subverting your joy, you know what the antidote is? In one word, relationship. Like what? What does that have to do with relationship? One heart and one soul. Let's start here. Relationship with God. That's where it begins, that you and I are in a right relationship with God. But a right relationship with God, when we trust Christ, it says we're baptized into the body of Christ. We're suddenly a part of a body. We're, sudden, you know, we're suddenly connected to each other such that, you know, if, if I have a bad ear, you know, it, it, it hurts and affects my body. When someone in the body is hurting here, that means someone over here is affected by it per se. There's, we're a body and we're to be in relationship. What kind of relationship? A relationship of one heart. And one soul. And this makes a lot of sense to me at least when you stand here and go, okay, 
what is the, you know, what's the core longing of every human being made in the image of God, wired, you know, made in his image, but we're wired for this one longing. It's a longing for relationship. I mean, every person's wired this way. We're made to be in a relationship with God and that relationship has been broken. And we're made to be in relationship with each other. <laughs> That's how we're made in his image. Doesn't surprise me that Professor uh, Myers, in this article I read, he says, you know, or I'll quote it, if affluence and materialism are not major ingredients for the good life, research indicates those things that are. And he lists four things. I'm only going to give you the first two. Close, supportive relationships, and secondly, a faith community. What's well, no surprise? It's how we were made. Unity of heart and soul precedes radical generosity. You know, when we're living in uni- unity of heart and soul, think about how this works. You're suddenly living, you recognize your relationship with God's most important and that it also involves a relationship with other Christians. And so we live with each other like this. You know, I've got this stuff, whatever, yeah, and it's not mine. Do you know anybody who has a need? I want to get it. We live with each other. Remind, we're constantly reminding each other the truths about God, that we don't own it. God owns it all. Hey, what are you living for? I'm living to help people come to know Jesus ultimately. I, I know, but I thought you worked down at IBM. I do, but I mean, that's how I pay my bills. But let me tell you why I'm on the planet. I'm on the planet to help other people come to know Christ because that's, that's, the, most, that's the ultimate thing we're here to do on this earth until the day we go home to be with Jesus and to walk with him and walk with others. You see, we remind each other of that. And that unlocks the tentacles of materialism and the abundance and the plenty that we have. Here's a second lesson. Living with unity of heart and soul is one of the most evangelistic things we can do. I'll say it again. Living with unity of heart and soul is one of the most evangelistic. It's one of the most, it's one of the most important things we do in terms of helping other people come to know Jesus. We've been praying for 40 days. We wrapped up on Friday night an amazing night of prayer and I think God's going to answer our prayers. And one of, the, one of the things we prayed for almost all 40 days, the very first prayer request I had you pray was, pray for those who don't know Jesus. And pray for those who think they know Jesus but don't. And so I think God's answering that prayer. Now, one of the ways he's going to answer that prayer, though, is actually tied to our unity of heart and soul. Lord, what do you mean that it has tied to this? Okay, let me connect these dots. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 20 to 21, prayed this. Father, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the disciples, but for those who believe in me through their word. So, Father, I'm praying not just for the disciples, but for the people that are going to one day believe in me because of their word. That they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see what Jesus has just said? He has said, those who don't know me are going to know, Father, that I come from you When your people are one, like me and you are one. There's that relational oneness, isn't it? 
You know, in our prayer guides, I, 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 I would write things, and, and, and early on, we spent a whole week in confession, and I very specifically put in there that we would, that we would confess our sins, but also understand confession, agreeing with God regarding our sins, also involves a repentance, that I'm going in one direction, but I, I confess this is sin, and we repent, and we turn from that, and I asked you, and I asked myself, and I knew I was going to have to do this, because I wrote it, and said for y'all to do it, and I think, well, then I'm going to have to do it, and sure enough, I said, if you have anybody in your life that... You know, you've got broken relationships, and I've got them. It, you know, is there anything the Spirit might encourage you to do to take a step to restore that? Remember that? This was weeks ago, but I said, you may need to go do that. And I'll tell you this for me, three weeks ago, I, I asked a friend to mediate a meeting between me and another person who, who has something against me. I, I, I knew that, and I said, would you... Would you mediate this meeting between us? And we met for over three hours, and uh, we are still not at peace. And, and I, I'm not pleased with that, but I'm not discouraged because I, I want you to know, these things don't happen like Disney stories. Oh, I'm going to do the right thing, and then everything's great. No, it's not like that. You can do the right thing, and everything's still bad. I don't know. This is life. But I'm, but I'm not done trying to reconcile and restore. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's... And I hate conflict. I mean, I just, ugh. You know, I, I don't like it at all. And I know many of us are like that. But, the, you know, the Bible says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes I sit there and I go, I don't have enough time in my life to do that. You know, I mean, you think back. And so, you know, you just take it as the Spirit leads you, you know, with, with what's in front of you. But also, uh, Matthew 5 says, if you're at the altar and you've got a sacrifice you're, you're, you're giving at the altar... And, and, and it comes to your mind, you go, wait, so-and-so has something against me. You know what Jesus said? He said, leave the altar and, and go and, and see if you can fix, restore that with that person. Now, this is fascinating because the most important thing you, a, a human being, can ever do is worship God. And Jesus says, actually, no, let's not do that. Or I, I view it this way. You know what? Jesus says, don't worship me with that sacrifice. Instead, worship me by going and seeking to restore with your brother, you know, as best you can, because he's got something against you. Y'all, I cannot be the only person in this room who knows of people that have something against them. I mean, I don't know that I could lead and, and not hurt some of you. You know, we've gone through a leadership transition here recently. I'm, you know, this is our reality. And it's, it's People have, have left the church. People are upset about that. Some of you in the room may still be upset with me or the elders. I don't know. Um, I give you permission. Come and talk to me. I can, I'm not going to be able to resolve it. I can tell you that right now, but I certainly relationally would want to talk to you about it if, if, if it need be. It's, it's that important. Um, I mean, there's, it's like, do not pass go, do not collect $200. This is how we're to live life. And I've got to believe that there is in this room, there are people who have been hurt by someone else, or you have a misunderstanding, and I don't know if something's, and, and it needs to be restored at some level as best you can. I'll tell you this, um, you cannot be involved in a church, a community of faith, and stay in that church through thick and thin, without resolving some of these differences and issues. And I think it's an absolute rarity, and this is interesting to me, in our culture today, for people 
to, to, to find a family of faith, and it doesn't have to be here, you know, anywhere, but to find a family of faith and stay there through thick and thin. I am, I have not said this in any other of the services, but this last time I'll teach this message, so I'll say it. I am so jealous of some denominations because I'm going to tell you something. Some of the denominational churches, they have such history. You go there and you might go in there and go, gosh, this is so out of date or whatever. But let me tell you what's there. There is a caring community and a lot of people with gray hair who stayed through the crap of years and they stayed at that church and they're there now caring and someone dies and there is food and there is care and there is prayer and I am saddened that for like a Bible church most many Bible churches our own it's like a it's like some of you won't be here in three years because I'm just going to name it some of you are going to get upset and leave or some of you are going to you know this happens your kids are going to connect at another church and that's a quick move for you and I get it and I don't you know what I'm saying but that happens I mean people are here because their kids are connected that's fine I'm off my page now but you know what I'm saying it's like it's like we don't stay. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to disappoint each other. Why am I so strong on this? Because God has saved us in order that he might save other people and how we relate to one another can become a hindrance to these people coming to know Christ. You see what I'm saying? There's so much at, what, what, there's, there's so much at, at stake. I mean, if I told you, if, if you'll do this, your child's cancer will be healed, you'd go cut off your arm. You'd cut off both arms. But if I said to you, you know, we need to, as best you can, I'm not looking for Disney or Panacea here because that's not real. But if you can resolve and restore as best you can, do you understand if you'll do that, then it opens the door. I don't understand the mystery of this. For those who don't know Christ, they'll know Jesus came from the Father. That's a big deal, y'all. Okay, close your Bibles. Um, we, are, we, are, we are done with the text in this sense. That's what the text says. And we go, okay, I get it. Uh, as in any text, though, it's the application becomes difficult. And so I want you to close your Bibles. And uh, this is a good, good, good metaphor for us as well. You know, I, me- I think I told you guys we did a survey with our lay leaders and said, why are you at fellowship? And many of them said, well, you know, the Bible teaching's great. And then it was this big gap. And then it was other reasons. And, and I don't know if I said this to y'all or not, but I'll say it here. If you're here because the, the Bible teaching's good, that's great. That's not enough. That's just not enough. Listen, every time we open our Bible, we don't open it just to know about know about God or no Bible or doctrine. We open it because it's the living, this is the living word of God that is intended by the Holy Spirit to change us, to transform us. And I'm talking about transform your heart, you all, our thinking, our feelings, our longings and our choices to transform the whole person. And the word does that as dependent upon the Spirit we apply it. We actually take a step of faith and live it. The, the, the Spirit changes us in that. And so 
we're going to seek as best we can, and I know whether it's Rob or Eric or, or uh, Bobby or me teaching, we're going to always try and end with, you know, well, what do you do with this text? You live it. How do we live it? Well, let me, let me give us a practice run, and then we're going to do a real run on this. The ushers are going to come down. They're going to pass the offering baskets, and I'm going to ask you to take your wallet and your purse, put the whole thing in the offering. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you thought I might have you do that. No, you're actually going to take from the offering. There are these little wooden cubes. Everybody take one, adults and children. Kids, if you're in here, take one of these cubes. Don't look at what's on it. Just reach in and take one and pass it along. Now, as you, as you take these and these, these go around, let me, let me explain what we're going to do and what's here. On these cubes are two letters, you, and only one cube per person. You either got an A, or you have an N. Now, the A stands for abundance. Uh, it stands for, for assets. This was asset giving, but it's an abundance, an asset that you have. Okay, so this, if you've got one of these, then, then in this moment, you have an abundance, you see. Now, what do you think the N stands for? Need. So if you have an N, you're a person in the room that has a need. Okay? Everybody with me so far? Now, what we're going to do in a moment, I'm going to have you stand up, and, and we are going to live Acts 4, 32 to 35. And so if you have a need, um, you're going to you're going to need to make it known or someone's going to have to find out you have a need and they are going to take their abundance and give it to you. So if you have an abundance, you're, you, know, you need to give that abundance away. If you have a need, then you need to receive the abundance you're given. Now, I don't know if your need's a 1A or a 10A need. So if you have a need, you may end up with you know, three or four A's. Everybody with me on this? But you keep your N, and then you just stack the A's on it to meet that. If you give your A away, then you don't have a block anymore. That's fine. Everybody, everybody okay? With, and, the, and the point is for us as a body to, to literally see what it looks like when a people of one heart and soul, recognizing God's own, God owns everything we have, some with houses and land sell it and bring it to the apostles' feet, and then it's distributed. Now, you're going to trust, I'm going to trust the Spirit to distribute the abundance in this room as we sit. So, everybody stand up, and let's see if the needs in the room can be met such that no one had a need among them. Okay, everybody, everybody stop where you are. Don't go back to your chair. I want you to stay where you're at just because we're not going to go back to our chairs until we're done. Just stay there for a minute. If there's anyone in the room who still has a need that's been unmet, just raise your hand up.
Now, is there anybody in the room that has a need that has not been met? I don't see one. Now, let's, let's think about this for a moment. When, you know, I tried to give you as enough information to do this, but not so much to tell you exactly what to do. And so there's a little pause when I say, when I stop speaking, you don't know what to do. And what I've noticed in every time we've done this is if you had an N, many of you with the N just kind of shut down. It's like I got an it's, You don't want people to know you have me. If you had an A, you know, you were more attuned to kind of going, I get to give this away. Now, why is it that we are reticent to make our needs known? Okay, pride is a sin, I believe. So we don't make our needs known. You know, that's what we do. Now, again, I'm not saying you advertise it on Facebook per se, but I'm talking about the body of Christ. Now, those of you that started with an A, may I ask you, what did you do to get your abundance? What did you do? You didn't do anything. I mean, last service, a kid yelled, took it out of the basket. Yeah, I mean, that's what you did. You just took it out of the basket. So in principle, tell me the difference between this abundance and your house and your retirement account and your investments and the money in your pocket right now. Tell me that what's, you see what I'm saying? There's, there's no difference in principle. You say, well, you know, I earned it all. Yeah, you did. Breathing God's oxygen. He gave you health. <laughs> he gave you the job in the first. See what I'm saying? There's, there's fundamentally no difference in, in that way. Now, that was practiced. Again, don't go back to your chair. Stay where you are. Now, this is real. For the next two weeks, we're going to do this. Not more than that, just the next two weeks. But everyone got a card in their program and it said, describe your need here and has a blank section. And this is for you to go, I have a need. This is not a prayer request. This is, that. This is I need help on this. Uh, I need these things. I need someone, if you have an extra blank. I need, the, you see, this is tangible need. So if you have one, and again, I'm not, I'm going to trust the spirit in you if it's legitimate, whatever. You just, you just say, I have the need. Then you'll flip over the card, and on the back side, you do have to put your name. And you have to check, I am a fellowship member. Now, I, I hate I had to do this, but there's part. I don't want anybody to get fleeced, to be honest. I, I really don't. And I don't want anybody to give something to somebody that's just walked in, per se. Uh, so if, if you're unsure if someone's a member at fellowship, this for the body, then call me. And is so-and-so a member? I'll tell you if they're a member at Fellowship, et cetera. That's why that's there. And then you're going to put your phone and your email. And then you're going to put, you know, time frame. It's immediate. You know, it's in the next four weeks. So, you know, I have this need. It can be met any time. And then you have any other lines specifics you want to put on this. Real, pretty simple. And then what you're going to do with this is you're going to, we have this, we have a clipboard that you're going to put it on. And we have a sharing board that you're going to look at over here in this corner. See that clipboard's over there? That was last service. And so there, there are needs on there. Now, there's only maybe 20 clipboards, so you may have to put, there may be a stack of three cards, see, on this, because it's stacked up because the board's full. That's okay. 
Um, and if you go over and look at the board and you go, I, 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 I have an abundance, I'd like to meet that need, then you would just take that off. It's yours now. You don't have to check in with anybody. You just take care of this amongst the body and you turn around and go, okay, that's so-and-so. I got their phone and email and it's in the next four weeks. I want to do that. So you call them and you say, hey, can I help meet this need? I want to bring you this. And that's just, that's as simple as it can be, okay? And that the, now this is going to be there. This will be in the service next week. All week long, it'll be out in the common area. You just come in, you look at it, you put your need on, or you take it. You don't have to. You don't have to take a need to put a need. This is not that. This is just if you feel led to do that. We're going to do this all next week, and then the following. Week, then we'll be done with this for now. Okay. Now it's so interesting. Eric said, "Man, this is really interesting." Just last service, um, someone put this need up, and it said. I need a home for two horses that I can no longer take care of. And Eric met a guy this morning who said, I have some land that I'm going to put some horses on. That was before the service. And so Eric pulled this off the board and called the guy and said, do you want me to take this need off the board? And do you want this information? And he said, yeah. So Eric took the need off and now that guy has her information. Now, if he's going to do that for horses, I think God's going to do that for people too. Do you know what I mean? Truly, that God would do that. So I have no idea. We don't know where this may go or how it may end up. And I really don't care because I think whatever happens, we will learn and we will grow, I believe, in the sense of living the adventure of walking in the power of the Spirit because that's what it is day by day, trusting God to meet our needs and trusting to meet the needs of others even as he's met ours. Let us, let us pray, and we pray over you. Father, so good to be in your word today and to be made mindful of, of the antidote to, to our abundance. That it's not just giving everything away, that it's being in relationship with you and with each other of one heart and soul. It is recognizing that you own everything. And then it's simply trusting that you will meet our needs and we will listen to your voice and hear when you call us to meet a need. Father, we are most satisfied when we own nothing but have all we need. And this is what's true in the gospel. In Christ, we own nothing, but we have all that we need. Would you do this work in and through us for your glory, O oh God? In Christ's name, amen. And if you have an immediate need for prayer, we have a team up here ready to pray with you. Just come up and let us pray with you. God bless.